Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. All right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Grace for This City podcast, and I'm Justin, and we're so honored to be able to bring you the word today. Hallelujah. Listen, if you've been tuning into the podcast and uh, it's blessed you, encouraged you, strengthened you in any way, then share it with somebody. That would help us out. We appreciate that. Several ways you could do that. You can just uh, send them an an email even with the link or uh, use the share feature in whatever podcast platform that you are listening to us on. You can also watch us on Facebook and our YouTube channel. So you can check those out. And, uh, boy, it's a real privilege to be able to do this. So, hey, I've got something that I want to deliver to you today. We're going to jump right on into the podcast today. If you brought your Bibles or you got your digital Bible with you, uh, turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Of course, if you're driving or just listening, then uh, I'm going to read the Scriptures to you. But in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, we see something very important here. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. While there's so many good things just in that little passage there, uh, one thing I just want to note before we go on to verse 13 and to the main thought of what I want to talk about today, but it says that the grace of God has appeared to us. Of course, ultimately, it's referring to Jesus Christ. He was full of grace and truth. But grace, a lot of people have this idea that uh, grace is kind of like um, uh, or some messages, let me say it like that, that are being uh, promoted or taught today about grace is, you know, basically once you get saved, you don't have to worry about anything. You're saved by grace. There's nothing you, you can do, uh, no way you can live. Uh, all of your sins are taken care of, even future ones. You don't even have to repent or even go before the Lord uh, repenting of anything. They've kind of taken this grace concept and pushed it into some extremes. You may have heard of, of it referred to as like greasy grace or sloppy grace. But uh, while we believe that um, nothing you can do, there's no works. You're not saved by your works. But once you're born again, there is a righteousness. There is a working out, a fleshing out of your faith. There is a working out, a fleshing out of your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, here it says that grace has appeared to us. And this grace is actually teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. It's actually teaching us to live soberly and righteously. We found out in Jude that some people are perverting this gospel of grace, this message of grace, and they're using it as a, um, as a way, uh, they're wordsmithing it, uh, they're twisting it uh, as a way to live immoral. And you and I are not supposed to do that. I think that's very obvious, but I wanted to bring that up since we're right here. Very important. If we've so learned Christ, as Ephesians 5 says, then we're putting off our old ways and putting on him, him who is teaching us how to live righteously. Righteousness is the right way of being and doing. Hallelujah. And he's teaching us how to live out this new life. We're born again creations. Hallelujah. And he's teaching us how to live that out. All right, now let's go to verse 13. This is where I really wanted to go. 
And uh, it says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. I'm going to read that again because this is where I want to dial in. Looking for the blessed hope. We want to talk about that. And his glorious appearing. Now, um, there's a verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's go there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. Um, in fact, leading up to that, the Thessalonians were being praised. Paul's writing to them, and he says, look, even the Macedonians are bragging on you. And there's something very particular that uh, they had noticed about the Thessalonians. Um and uh, uh, so Paul's writing to them and saying, in effect, I'm paraphrasing, he's saying, way to go, guys. Uh, I mean, your posture here is inspiring others. And it says in verse 10 that they wait for his son from heaven, whom he, referring to God, raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This was the posture that the Thessalonians had, that they were anticipating Christ's return. That is the blessed hope. That's part of the blessed hope, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So even the Thessalonians were being praised that they exhibited, they demonstrated that particular posture, and which, by the way, should be our own posture. Now, we're living in days right now where the anticipation of Christ's return, his imminent return, has actually uh, been mocked, not only mocked, of course the Bible prophesied that mockers would come, but it's been mocked, but it's been adjusted. In fact, there's messages right now that almost put off, almost celebrate the putting off of Christ's return until the world's been Christianized. But that's not the posture we see in the Bible. Here we find out that the Thessalonians were praised because anybody that knew them uh, realized these people were anticipating Christ's imminent return and the blessed hope, the rapture of the church. They had such a posture and an anticipation of this happening at any moment. In fact, Paul had the right to them and encourage them. Uh, even Peter, uh, in his letters, were encouraging people that while it is imminent um, in terms of God's time, you know, uh, that there may be a few sequence of events that need to take place. And so the apostles were writing to the church and strengthening us, fortifying us in our patient endurance for the return of Christ. But yet never anywhere, nowhere in the Bible are we ever rebuked. In fact, we're encouraged to take this posture of immediate return, imminent return of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we thank you for it. Look at this in 2 Timothy 4, 7. Here, uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Closing remarks here from uh, such a mighty man, the Apostle Paul. Verse 8, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Capital D day, that's the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, as soon as the church is raptured, we go to the judgment seat of Christ. It's the Bama seat. It's not one. Um, the Bama, Bama seat was where rewards were given. And so we're going to be judged for deeds done in the body, 
all the deeds done that were not fitting or appropriate will be burned up, and we will receive rewards, though, for uh, our actions and obedience in line with the plan of Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed by Holy Spirit. And he's saying there's going to be a crown of righteousness given to me on that day. And not to me only, watch this phrase, though, but to all who have loved his appearing. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Father, we just give you praise for it. This is what I want to talk about. We're going to break this up probably at least two different podcasts. So this is part one. Uh, but it's under the whole idea here of the blessed hope. I'm going to tie in a couple of things about Christ's return, our being caught up and being changed, transformed in the air. We're going to touch a little bit on uh, what the Bible says concerning immortality because everybody is after immortality. So what does the word say on it? But in this first part here, we want to deal with just this anticipation. You know, where are you and I at? Are we even eagerly waiting? Are we living in such a way? See, our lifestyle should actually speak, should prove out our heart posture of this uh, anticipation, this imminent anticipation of Christ's return, or this anticipation of his imminent return. Does our life speak to that? Could people uh, praise or testify of us like they did the Thessalonians that we also eagerly wait for his return. Do we even love his appearing? By the way some doctrines are being uh, administered today, you would wonder if people are even being ridiculed. In fact, they are. Let me say it like, like that. People are being ridiculed for taking on the uh, Bible posture of loving, anticipating, uh, just yearning for his return. In fact, it's being mocked as being um, escapism or failure theology. But I don't know if that's what the Bible says. Let's find out what the Bible says. If, if we're going to answer any argument, we're going to answer it with the word. Hallelujah. All right, look at this, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. Uh, it says, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And then we see this phrase or this word, this Aramaic word thrown in there, and it's the word maranatha. You ever heard, heard that word? If you grew up in the 80s, uh, it was Maranatha everything. Well, what does Maranatha mean? Uh, the short version is, come, Lord Jesus. Uh, one translation translates it, oh, Lord, come. And it's an Aramaic phrase. Very interesting. Maranatha is only found one time in our uh, New, New Testament version of the Bible. And, uh, but it's got a rich history. The Amplified Classic says it like this. If anyone does not love the Lord, does not have a friendly affection for him, is not kindly disposed toward him, he shall be accursed. And then it says this, our Lord will come, Maranatha. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Come, Lord Jesus, come, Maranatha. Uh, that's kind of our English way of saying it. it to officially pronounce it in the Aramaic, it, it, it kind of phonetically Phonetically, sounds a little bit different, but that, that's what most people know it as. Maranatha, O Lord, come, or even so, come. Now, historians say that during some times of persecution for the Greek church, that these Greek believers would actually use this Aramaic word, Maranatha, as a code of sorts to encourage each other. On one hand, this code word, this Aramaic word, of course, you know, in Greek culture, uh, if they weren't already um, 
made aware of what this Aramaic word was and what it meant, they wouldn't understood what was being said when it was said. But historians say that on one hand, it was a hopeful expectation that Jesus will come again for his redeemed. Can you imagine being in a place of severe persecution that you would cling to what? The hope of what Jesus said he would do, that vengeance was his and that he would come and rescue us from our enemies. If you have, have you ever read the Psalms? All right. So these believers sometimes during intense times of persecution, sometimes they would encourage themselves by saying this, this, this phrase, Maranatha. Again, on one hand, it was encouraging one another. He will return like he said he would. He will come and deliver us from our enemies. On the other side of that phrase is this idea that Jesus' return meant certain damnation to those that hated him. You know, Jesus' return is both, uh, you know, is kind of bittersweet. It's bitter for the judgment that he's bringing with him against nations and how they have turned against Israel. It's judgment towards Israel and Jacob. You know, remember Jeremiah 30 prophesies Jacob's trouble. That's what you and I know as the tribulation. Although that's judgment that's not been appointed unto the church or the ecclesia. will be raptured out um, before Daniel's 70th week commences. Uh, and that's the blessed hope that's being referred to here in the book of Titus. Uh, but in Maranatha, uh, we know that his return means our deliverance, but his return also means certain judgment to those that hate him. Let me read the amplified version of 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone does not love the Lord, if anyone does not have a friendly affection for him and is not kindly disposed towards him, he shall be accursed. You know, judgment is a part of our gospel. God's dealings with man is included in our imploring of those to turn to Jesus and to accept the invitation to become his bride and body. Our gospel is the gospel of grace that right now that uh, we're in a period of time where you're not saved by works and you can escape the wrath that is to come by simply turning your heart to him. Anyone who simply believes that is our gospel, friends. But Romans tells us that that time, the time of the Gentiles, that there's going to be an end to that time. Now, listen, so our gospel includes this amazing invitation. By the way, that's gone out to every tribe, tongue, nation. It's gone out to Jews and Gentiles alike. Anybody who accepts gets born again. You're transformed. Old things are done away with. Behold, all things have become new. The Bible says you are a new creation in Christ. What is that new creation? That's the one new man that the Bible talks about. The one new man is not a collaborative effort between Jews and Gentiles. No, the one new man is a totally new creation. It's almost like a new species that shows up. And that is introduced in the New Testament as the church. So if you were Gentile and you get born again, well, in God's plan, his futures and judgments for people, you have a particular future and judgment that is now distinct from Gentiles or nations and is definitely distinct now from Israel or Jacob or Jews. You are the body bride of Christ Jesus. And that person, that one new man, has not been appointed to Jacob's trouble and definitely not been appointed 
to the judgment which will befall the nations, Matthew 25, that totally uh, reject Christ, so many of them, the goat nations, they reject Christ in the way that they treat the Jews during the tribulation period. So our gospel, friends, hallelujah, includes the admonition that we need to love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you don't love him, it is certain judgment for you. So again, it is fitting to include that in our evangelistic efforts that, listen, if you don't turn towards Jesus, if you don't fall in love with him, he's in love with you. He's, he's invited you to marry him. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, but if you reject that, then you shall be accursed. That's 1 Corinthians 16, 22, friends. So one of the marks of a truly born-again New Testament saint, okay, uh, a present time, a present age saint who has received the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of the earmarks of that is this um, um, cry, if you will, this internal desire for our Lord and Savior to come. We don't have to say Maranatha, but here's, here's, what they, here's what they said in the early days of the church. They would cry out, Maranatha, come, Lord. They, it, just the anticipation of being united with their Redeemer. Wow, it's fascinating, friends. Do, have you and I lost that? Have we lost that? Are we drifting from that? Are we being seduced out of that posture? These are things that we need to ask ourselves. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Peter's writing to Jewish converts. So these were people that were trained up uh, Jews. They were, they were Jews. <laughs> and so they were trained in, um, you know, studying the Old, Old Testament scriptures and whatnot. Now, this is very important in Bible uh, interpretation. Is you got to know who the Bible was writing to. All of the Bible is for the, for the church, but not all of the Bible is about the church. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32 says, give none offense to the church, the nations, and the Jews. Or maybe it says it the other way, to the Jews, the nations, and to the church. And what that tells us is that in God's eyes, he sees three distinct groups of people. In the Old Testament, there was only two groups of people. There was covenant folk, Israel, or the Jews, say. There were covenant people. And then there was everybody else. There was the nations. But in the New Testament, there's a one new man that, that shows up as a mystery. There was a mystery. Christ's body and bride. It was a mystery. It was hidden. And even the apostles in the Gospels had no clue about this mystery, this one new man that was going to emerge via uh, the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, causing spirits to be born again. God now sees three distinct groups of people living in what you and I would call New Testament times. <clears throat> Again, those three groups of people are the Jews, the nations, and the church. So Paul, he's writing to Jewish people that had converted or they have become born again. So in God's eyes, he no longer holds them to future judgments associated with Israel. He obviously never was holding them to futures and judgments to the nations. They were always a distinct group from the nations, always, friends. Always, they were never associated together unless they were associated together as the enemies of God. But then you have this third group 
And uh, here, Paul, uh, Peter's writing to them. Very interesting because they are born again believers, but yet the future that's been prophesied concerning Jesus and his dealings with man, the coming kingdom, et cetera, he's able to talk to them about certain things <clears throat> that the Gentiles would have no reference point for. So reading Peter is very interesting. All right, he says, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, the second letter, in which both of them, I write to stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may, may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior or the apostles of the Lamb, Knowing this first, watch this, that scoffers or mockers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Wow. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, they had, <clears throat> uh, well, let me read this thought here and then I'll go into something else. Here's a commentary uh, on this passage from a particular translation called The Voice. It says, scoffers use the delay in his second coming to question if he's going to return at all. Peter responds by saying that God's perspective on time is not like ours. What seems like a long time from a finite human perspective is incredibly short from eternal one, from an eternal one. Peter also describes how God is not slow, but patient. Peter also, um, this is my thoughts here, Peter also reminded them uh, that a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Remember that? He's referencing not only Psalms, but he's also referencing Hosea, because the prophet Hosea said, writing to the Jews, he says that after two days, he will raise us up. On the third day, he will raise us up. After two days, he will raise us up. Peter knew that these guys had studied uh, what you and I know as the Old Testament. That was the soul of their Bible, as it were. They had the writings of the Old Testament. Um, they had the Tanakh. They had the, the uh, prophets. They had you know, Psalms and Proverbs, etc. cetera. Uh, Peter knew that. Not only was he trained up in that, he knew that these Jewish converts were also trained up in that. So he was referencing certain things which are absolutely fascinating. And so here they were thinking Christ could return in any day. Well, in God's timeline, a thousand years is as a day. Two thousand years is two days. He could return any day now. But for you and I, uh, it seems a little bit longer. Of course, in heavenly time, it's just instant. I mean, it's just boom, 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 boom. We're told throughout the Bible that man's days are just like a just like a vapor. You're here one day and you're gone the next. You and I are, it seems like, you know, 80 years is forever, 100 years is forever. <clears throat> but from an eternal perspective, it's just a blip. And so these people had such this... Uh, consciousness of this uh, uh, imminent return, but some people were dying. And so uh, Peter and Paul, they were writing to encourage the believers. Peter in particular, he said, listen, uh, a day is as a thousand years. In effect, telling us it could be about 2,000 years before Jesus returns. So he's giving them something to anchor themselves on as they wait for his return. So again, this commentary says, what seems long from a finite human perspective is incredibly short from an eternal one. Peter's also saying, listen, God's not slow. He's just patient. Remember John 3.16, God desires that none should perish. 
Okay, so he's not slow. He's just patient. He's long suffering. He's wanting others to um, uh, accept the message. <clears throat> Excuse me. God wants to allow the time needed for as many sinners as possible to turn from their sinful ways. Unlike some depictions of God as vindictive <clears throat> and enjoying inflicting punishment on people, the God we see here desires that all be saved and that none would be destroyed. If we had true spiritual insight, we would not be amazed by the severity of eternal judgment, but rather by the intensity of God's mercy. <clears throat> actually, the tribulation is judgment, but it's actually mercy, and particularly for Israel, and particularly for Jacob. Tribulation is called Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah chapter 30, and reference such in other places, but it's actually the mercy of God, because at the end of that, so many of the Old Testament prophets prophesy, uh, Jeremiah 30 even prophesies that at the end of it, at the end of it, Jacob will be saved. You got to see the mercy of God in this judgment. Um, rather than seeing as just vengeful, see the mercy of God in judgment. And that's what we see uh, when you look at future passages concerning the tribulation. Another reason why you and I are not going to be here. Uh, because it is judgment that's not appointed to us. Uh, uh, appointed to us, it's actually going to get Jacob into a place of repentance, where he can walk in, uh, walk into, and receive his inheritance of the land of promise and establishing the kingdom of God on the earth. Now, Revelation four eight it says, the four living creatures having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and what? It's a song, and is to come. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's, that's absolutely fascinating. Here are these creatures, these living creatures, uh, are declaring, He is coming of which Jesus says in Revelation 22, verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then again in Revelation 22, 12, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. And then again, Revelation 22, verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say what? Come, hallelujah, and let him who's, who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Now listen, this is very interesting here because this is the prayer or the groan of the spirit within the church. And it is our reply to Jesus's promise uh, that he is coming quickly. We cry along with the Spirit, come, Lord Jesus, come. And then again, Revelation twenty-two twenty, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. And then it goes on to say, amen, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Have we lost our sense of this, um, uh, you know, uh, this longing 
Are we even praying with Holy Ghost anymore? Come, Lord Jesus. I'm telling you, there are movements out here that are mocking it. We were told, we were told that there would be scoffers, there would be mockers, and they would say, where is this coming? You guys have been saying for years he's coming. He hasn't come yet. Oh, that's so failure. That's so escapism. Oh, that's so weak. Oh, that's so weak. You're so weak. You're so weak. No, 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 no. The the Holy Spirit testify. The Holy Spirit is groaning within us. The Holy Spirit is crying within us. He's helping us pray. Remember uh, Romans chapter eight, we find out that Holy Spirit gives us the prayers. We don't know how to pray as we ought. He's helping us pray as we ought to pray. And I'm telling you, one of the one of the prayers Holy Spirit is trying to get us to unite with him on is this cry, come, Lord Jesus, come. Because Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. But listen, mockers are mocking that. And uh, they're taking advantage of this quasi-delay to come up with all kinds of doctrines. In fact, Peter writes about this. And he said, destructive doctrines. You know, in Thessalonians, it says that the people were troubled because there was these false teachers, false apostles, false prophets going around and saying contrary things to Paul's revelation concerning the rapture of the church, concerning the revealing of the Antichrist, and concerning the day of judgment. And, and, and listen, false doctrine troubles people. It, it, it causes an unsettling. And Paul wrote to them in Thessalonians, said, comfort the people with these words. You know, Paul said that no man taught him this revelation. He was caught up. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself, in Galatians, he says, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, no man, Jesus told me these things were so. And so Paul laid out uh, the gathering of ourselves to the Lord. He laid out uh, what Jesus revealed to him concerning the uh, revealing of the uh, Antichrist uh, and concerning the end things or the coming of the Lord or the day of judgment. It's all been revealed. And here Jesus is saying, listen, I'm testifying to these things and I am saying, listen, don't miss this. The Lord Jesus Christ himself is saying, behold, I am coming quickly. Again, the Thessalonians were praised. Paul said, Man, even the Macedonians are praising y'all's anticipation of his uh, imminent return. Where are you and I at in this? Are we troubled? Have we lost heart? Have we lost our peace? Are, Are we being robbed of our cry for our uniting with our Lord and Savior and Deliverer, Jesus Christ? Listen, we need to pick it back up, friends. We need to pick back up on this, this groan with the Holy Spirit and say, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Listen, the question of our salvation hinges on this, that we are able to hear with joy Jesus' announcement, I am coming, and to reply with it, come, Lord. Come and fully glorify your bride. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to have to end there because we're out of time today on the podcast. We'll pick it up uh, in the next podcast because I want to get into what is associated with Christ's appearing and our gathering unto him. Oh, it's fascinating, friends. I want to encourage you, though, get back with Holy Ghost. Let's stir up that 
cry again. The spirit and the bride cry out, come Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we're so grateful for the plan. Hey, listen, if we can pray for you, several ways you can reach out to us. You can call us 870-741-9099. Leave a message. One of our prayer partners will respond to you. Or you can send us an email, hello at gracetychurch.tv with your prayer request. Listen, friends, we're so honored. We're thankful for you. And uh, man, it'd just be a joy to be able to partner up with you. When we say we pray with you, we really mean it. We want to pray with you. All right, friends, thank you for tuning in. This has been the Grace for This City podcast. And until next time, be blessed.